Well, I don't know about you, but I love stories that have a happy ending. Uh, most stories are like that. If they don't have a happy ending, I think people don't like them so much. But I, I thought about three typical stories that are, are known uh, by all of us probably that are especially happy. I think about the the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. tells a, a great story. ends with a happy ending. George Bailey gets to live again. I mean, what can be better than that? Uh, I think about The Wizard of Oz. That has a happy ending as well. Scarecrow gets a brain. Right? Tin Man gets a heart. Lion gets courage. And Dorothy goes back to Kansas. I mean, what can be better than that? Third way, Annie. Your little orphan Annie. She goes from the orphanage to live with Daddy Warbucks for the rest of her life. Living on Easy Street. What can be better than that? Now, it's not to say these stories are, are free from conflict or tensions or suspense. But the fact that, uh, that they are, that they do have conflicts and tensions is what makes the end so enjoyable. I mean, George Bailey ready to kill himself, wishing he'd never lived. And that's what makes the life seem so great when he sees what an impact he made. Dorothy was in the hands of the Wicked Witch of the West. Kids may remember when the hourglass was going down and, and um, potentially she was going to deal with her. We don't know exactly what she was going to do, probably kill her. But she was rescued. Annie was almost taken away by Rooster and his girlfriend. But in the end, Daddy Warbucks came to the rescue and in the end it all turned out well. Well, this morning as we come to the fourth and final chapter of the book of Ruth, we're going to experience a, a happy ending. Ruth will marry. She'll have a child. The family line of Elimelech will be preserved. God will give a king to Israel. And from the line of David, the Messiah will come. Now, that's not to say that Ruth is free from conflicts and tensions. In fact, we'll even see Ruth chapter 4 has some tension. But it ends with a happy ending. so it makes it a great story. I think that's one of the reasons why the Jews uh, every year read this story, the Feast of uh, Pentecost. Well, by way of review, I want to do something a little bit different this morning. I want to read for you a, a children's version of the story of Ruth. Um, we used to have this book. I'm not sure where this book went, but it's entitled this. It's entitled, I Love Ruthie. It can't be true. I can't go on. Oh, everything we had is gone. Naomi wept. Poor Ruthie cried. Naomi's precious sons had died. And oh, one precious, priceless son, Naomi's son, that very one was Ruthie's husband. Lord above, our one and only, and only one true love. Now sometimes when it rains, it pours. And this time it would pour for sure. For evil people rule the land as evil people sometimes can and sometimes will and sometimes do when you and I allow them to. From here to there, from there to here, the food began to disappear. It filled the people full of fear. Yes, full of fear from ear to ear. Orpah, Ruth, Naomi cried. The time has come. We must decide. We, we have to leave. We cannot stay. We cannot stay. Not now, no way. From north to south, from west to east, the men are gone. Extinct, deceased. Without a man, Naomi said, we're all about as good as dead. Just look at me, I'm old and wrinkled, sagged and bagged and crooked and crinkled, crumpled, puckered, nooked and crannied, rip-van-winkled, grayed and grannied. 
Oh, there is just no hope in sight to find another Mr. Right. Or even just a Daffy Duck, an Elmer Fudd, or Mr. Yuck. The time has come, the time is now, the time has come right now, and how you must return, you must, I say, return back home right now today. And Dr. Seuss didn't write this, but it sounds a lot like him. <laughs> Naomi prayed that they would bite, and hoping you that she was right, she packed her bags without a fight and left for home that very night. But oh, not Ruth. Not her, no way. She had a thing or two to say. I can't return. I want to stay. I will not go right now today. For where you are is where I'll be, and where you stay, you'll stay with me. And where you die, I'll die with you. And that's what I'm going to do. Your God will be my God, and He will surely care for you and me. Oh, what a thing for Ruth to say. A, a kind of thing that makes your day and make you shout, Hip, hip, hooray! They hugged and kissed and packed up tight and left for Bethlehem that night. Naomi, is it really true? What happened, girl? Just look at you. Your hair, your clothes, your shoes, your toes, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your nose. You're looking pale. You're looking thin. In fact, if we may say again, you're really looking more akin to something that the cat dragged in. Well, things looked bad the way things can. But listen now, God had a plan. Oh, Naomi, please don't cry. Oh, please don't cry. I'll tell you why. I'll find a farm. I'll be real nice. I'll ask them once or maybe twice to take our jugs and jars and sacks and fill them full of treats and snacks. Yes, crumbs and morsels, flakes and flecks, leftover kernels, crumbs and specks. A black banana, bagels, locks, some cheese stuck to a pizza box. I'll beg, I'll plead, I'll sob and bleat, I'll ask them for a tasty treat, an itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, tiny scrap for us to eat. So off she went, she did her thing, she did it never noticing that someone had been fastening his bulging eyes on everything. Who is that girl out in my field? And what's she doing? Boaz squealed. Look at that hair. Look at those eyes. Excuse me just one minute, guys. I'd rather go and socialize. <laughs> he shaved his toes. He licked his lips. He checked his teeth for cracks and chips. He combed the bugs out of his hair. Yes, Don won double debonair with Savroth Fair Extraordinaire. Now, don't be quick to judge. Amen? Don't think what you're thinking then, for Boaz was a gentleman. Please stay with us and take what you need. Take what you need and more indeed. He loaded up all Ruthie's sacks and jugs and jars with treats and snacks. Yes, it was true love at first sight. A double thumping heart delight. She headed home. Oh, what she found. Her world was turning upside down. She ran the whole way back to town about ten feet above the ground. I'm telling you, tonight's the night. Naomi grinned, and if I'm right, there's only one thing left to do, to get that man to say, I do. So do they did. Oh, did they do. They fluffed and puffed. They crimped, they curled. They powdered, sweet, perfumed, and pearled. They thanked the Lord. They sang His praise. They marveled at His wondrous ways. And off she went into the night to have and hold her Mr. Right. 
Her Mr. Shining Armored Knight, her straight from heaven sent delight. Now, as I'm sure that you suppose, Boaz said yes when Ruth proposed. Yes, Ruth proposed, that's what I said. Just go look it up. Go right ahead. They tied the knot and lived to be quite happily ever afterly. And soon God blessed them with a son, a precious little baby one. But wait, the story's far from done because their son, he was the one who had a son who had a kid known as King David. Yes, he did. And David was the great, 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 great times three plus one plus eight. Great granddad of a man whose wife you've probably heard of all your life. A man whose son, to be precise, was Jesus. No, yes, Jesus Christ. Just take a second, think it through. Oh, what God will go and do. For God is love and love is kind. The kindest thing you'll ever find. The kindest thing you'll ever see. That's something else. Don't you agree? So the story, the story of Ruth. We can summarize it pretty quickly. Right? In search of a better life, Naomi, her husband, Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion left Bethlehem for Moab and within ten years they had married, but then they had died. Left Naomi to return to Bethlehem. Defeated and downcast. So in order to survive, Ruth goes out to a field to glean. Just happens upon the, the field of Boaz. And he took a liking to her and blessed her. Not only for that day, but also for the rest of the barley harvest. And then for the wheat harvest after that. Then when the harvest was over, Ruth did a strange thing. Remember last week? She, she watched to see where he would lay down after the feast of the harvest. Spied it out, uncovered his feet, laid down at his feet. And when Boaz awoke late one night, that night, to see a woman at her feet, who is that? He said, it is Ruth, your maid. Then he understood her gesture. He understood that she was requesting redemption asking that Boaz purchase the land for Elimelech, further requesting that Boaz marry Ruth and raise up an offspring for her. And you remember Boaz's words, chapter 3, verse 11. You can look at them there. He said this, Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now, it is true that I am a kinsman redeemer. However, there is a kinsman redeemer closer than I, remain this night and when morning comes, if He will redeem you, good. Let Him redeem you. But if He does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. And that's right where we left it last week. I left you hanging with the question, well, will Boaz redeem Ruth or not? Or will this other kinsman redeem her? Well, before we begin chapter 4, I do want us to think about this whole idea of redemption. We've sung about it, songs of, of redemption. We've read about it. We've prayed about it. But redemption really is one of the, the key themes. And if anything, it is the key theme in the book here of Ruth. In fact, it's one of the main reasons I believe that the book of Ruth is included in the Old Testament is because of this idea of redemption. It teaches us about what redemption looks like. I remember talking to a pastor one time about uh, court and he said, you know, it's one thing to stand away from it and kind of hear judges put down sentences and things like that, but it's another thing when you actually get into the courtroom yourself and are with somebody who is facing crimes and judgment and punishment. 
put on a totally different dimension of it. That's what God has done in teaching us. God doesn't merely teach us by precept. He also gives a story and example as well. For instance, He doesn't merely say, you shall have no other gods before Me. Instead, He teaches us by example. You remember when the ark was stolen and the ark of the covenant came into the temple of Dagon, the fish god? Showed you how futile that god was as he fell over several times before the ark of the covenant. It says following gods is futile. He doesn't merely say, do not steal. Rather, he shows us the tragic consequences of a man named Achan who took what was under the ban and thus received the death penalty. He doesn't merely say, you shall not commit adultery, but he shows us the devastating effects of David when he fell in his sin. And so likewise here with the book of Ruth, he doesn't just set forth the principle of redemption. Rather, he gives an example of one who is redeemed. In this case, Ruth. It helps to give us a picture. helps to put real life into the matter you know, it's a little bit like Aesop's fables, if you ever read them. You read them, and then by the end, you just get the moral of the story. And uh, I, I encourage you, challenge you sometime, to just read the moral sometime. And try to leave it at that. You just read it, and just you're left very empty. Until then, you read the story, and then the moral just kind of comes out. And so likewise, here with the book of Ruth, it's more than just... A purchase. It, it, it flushes itself out. And then we realize how glorious it is that Ruth was purchased and, and redeemed. Well, the word redeem or redemption occurs more than 20 times in the book of Ruth. And the repetition of word signals for us the main theme of the book. why I've entitled the book, Restored to Life. It comes straight from chapter 4, verse 15. May he also, this child, be to you a restorer of life. That's the same idea of redemption a buyer, a purchaser back, one who gives you life again. Because we see the lives of Ruth and Naomi were broken and in need of help and in need of restoration from another. Fundamentally, the idea of redemption comes from the marketplace. When you purchase something, you redeem it. Every time you pay the cashier and you take your item, you have redeemed that item. But beyond mere things, the Bible speaks often about redemption of people. When the Hebrew people were were taken out of slavery in Egypt and brought into the wilderness. They were redeemed, quote-unquote. The law spoke about how slaves could be purchased and redeemed. The law spoke about how an Israelite might become so poor that he would give himself to another and that person, someone else then could come and redeem them. And that's what we see here with Ruth. Is that they're so downcast, so... So helpless, they needed someone to come and redeem them. They needed someone to, to buy them back, to care for them. And they turned to Boaz for help. And as Naomi said, he's not going to rest until he settles the matter today. And that's where we come into chapter 4, verse 1. Will Boaz redeem? Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there and behold, the close relative or the kinsman redeemer of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. And so he said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. And so they sat down. And then he said to the kinsman redeemer or the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, then redeem it. But if not, tell me 
that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up a name of the deceased on his inheritance. The kinsman redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself and you may have my right of redemption for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any manner. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So, the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and to all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belong to Kilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. So the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. And all the people who are in the court, the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel, And may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, to the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. And may His name become famous in Israel. May He also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to Him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. and So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram Aminadab, and to Aminadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse David. My message this morning has three points. Um, They all focus upon this main idea of redemption, just to drive this home into your mind. That's what we see in chapter 4, the the redemption accomplished. We see it applied. Um, The first of these focus on the main plot line of the story. It's kind of the culmination of everything. It has to do with Ruth and Naomi and their plight for a kinsman redeemer. My first point is this, redeeming a family, verses 1 through 17. And, And that's what we see. We see Ruth and Naomi being redeemed. Now, there's stages to this, and it didn't just happen all at once. But the first thing we see, it's very public. According to verse 1, we see that Boaz went to the gate, and he sat down there. Now, cities in the days of Ruth, Bible times, were surrounded by walls. It was a, it was a place of safety. And uh, in the walls, they had several gates. They didn't have a lot of gates, but they had a few gates. And everybody who would, would have to go outside the city, perhaps to go farming, or to perhaps tend to the field, would always pass through and by that gate. And so Boaz knew he had to search out this man who was the closer relative, as he said to Ruth in chapter 3. 
verse 12. And sure enough, as he sat there, here came this closer relative coming by. And Boaz said to him, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And the friend went ahead. He turned aside and he sat down. Once he got this man, then he had to get ten other men. And they were elders. And they were probably elders sitting at the gate. And so he pulled ten elders. He said, hey guys, come on over here. we got a meeting. Come sit down. At this point, court is convened. Boaz wanted to make this whole transaction, this whole redemption, a very public matter. In verse 3, we then see Boaz explaining the situation. In the hearing of this closest relative and in the hearing of all these ten men, as we shall see in the hearing of other people who were there as well. And he explained, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. Since Naomi married Elimelech, she owned the land. The reason she has to sell it is probably because of her poverty. This was her way out. This was how they were going to, to manage financially. And so I thought to inform you, continues Boaz, saying, buy it before these who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you redeem it, will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. Until this point, really nothing's really been said about the land, but we see that it needs to be sold somehow to keep Naomi alive in years to come for her old age. Now, within the workings of Israel, land wasn't merely up for sale for anyone to purchase. Um, I know that um, kind of that's what happens in our society, and I think it's, it's okay. Land goes up for sale. Anybody can purchase it. Like I've heard, like in Hawaii, China owns much of Hawaii. Is that, is that true? Is that right? I think so. People have just bought things from other countries can come and buy it. But that was not the case in Israel. Land was not to be sold to foreigners. Land was to be sold even within the family. Because the Lord owned the land... You were using it only for 50 years and it was only for uh, people in Israel and primarily it was people within the family because you wanted to preserve the family inheritance, you wanted to preserve the land, you wanted to preserve the 12 tribes was the idea for that. And so the offer was put there on the table and to our shock, the close relative was willing to make the purchase. He said, I will redeem it. And here's where tension comes in the city. Uh, We had some friends over last Sunday and I was talking to these kids about their dad, and, and uh, these kids were telling me about how in, into everything their dad gets, and uh, like football games or basketball games, cheering, getting up, and getting loud. And, and even they said, at movies he'll do this. So even in the process of a movie, he'll say, no, no, that can't be. And right here, were he here, right here, reading it, seeing this on a movie, he'd say, no, this man can't redeem Ruth. We know nothing about this man, but we know what an honorable gentleman Boaz is. He's of noble character. Everything that Boaz has done has been with others in mind. He has given himself to Ruth, and we know how good Boaz will treat Ruth. And this will be, but we don't know anything about this other man. In fact, you notice he's not even named. It says there in verse 1, he said, Turn aside here, friend. You know, that's a very generous translation. Better is something like this. Hey, buddy, come over here. Or something like this. Hey, you, sit down here. One commentator says it's like this. Hey, Mr. So-and-so, you over there. Mr. So-and-so, you, you come here. 
He knew his name, but was kind of um, perhaps derogatory a little bit, maybe unfriendly a little bit. They were relatives after all. Maybe there were some family tensions here going on. I'm not exactly sure. But Mr. So-and-so knew full well what was taking place. He quickly calculated in his mind about this field. He saw the cost of it, the benefit of it, and he knew that the benefit far outweighed the cost. And when the benefit far outweighs the cost, what do you do? You buy. And so that's what he said. He said, I will redeem. However, just when we might begin to despair, Boaz comes in with the, the whammy. And I think Boaz was playing with him a little bit. Boaz then said, verse 5, he said, On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased of his inheritance. Now, upon hearing this, it was, it was too much for the nearest relative. Right? This kinsman redeemer who was closer said, I cannot redeem it for myself. And here's the reason. Because I would jeopardize my own inheritance, is what he says. Or I would ruin my own inheritance. And then he says to Boaz, redeem it for yourself. You may have the right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Now, we don't know how it would jeopardize his inheritance. I mean, you can speculate all different kinds of things. Maybe this man was already married, didn't need another wife. Maybe this man thought that Ruth and Naomi overextend him. Right, with two women in the home and, and one particularly will, will die soon. That's okay, but one is young. That's a long time to care for a woman. Maybe that would overextend him too much. Maybe the fact that Ruth was a foreigner was detestable to him. It, it, is, it is written in here, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess. And, 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 and there was a stigma about Moab in those days, and so maybe it was a, a stigma there. We don't know exactly the reason Maybe there's some other reason we we know, but we do know this: is that he was not willing to redeem the land, and so in the presence of the twelve elders, this man forfeits his right of redemption to Boaz. Now you got to catch the irony about this a little bit. Here's this Mister So and So, unnamed man, concerned about his future and concerned about the longevity of his land, his finances, and he doesn't want to go to ruin. He doesn't want to be jeopardized. And yet, who is the one who's gone into oblivion and who we don't know anything about today? It's Mr. So-and-so. His name died when he died, but Boaz lives on more than 3,000 years later. Well, verse 7, we see one of those customs. Okay, I think you kids might anticipate what's coming up here. He says this, Now this was the custom, at least we're told, that there was this custom in Israel. It shows probably the time of this writing was maybe a hundred years later or, or maybe it was added somehow to explain what was going on because somehow the, the readers of this needed to ex- be explained in the custom. And, and the writer even knew of David as well. Um, so it probably was written down years later. But this is a custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the matter of attestation in Israel. And so the closest relative said to Boaz, 
Buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. I mean, is that how we make deals today? No, we don't. We write up contracts. We sign them or we shake hands. We're not in the habit of handing... Could you imagine? Um, excuse me. Let me let me make my deal here. I'm going to... Here you go. Here you go. You can have my shoe. Deal? That, that's, that's how they did it back then. And then you have to walk around. You have to maybe get another shoe or something. Maybe you take your shoes like the first dollar you earned. You know, you put, oh, this is my redemption shoe you put up there. You know, I do need some new shoes, by the way. But anyway, that is, that's what was taking place. Now, why? We, we don't know why, but we do know this is one of those customs that we do have some ancient manuscripts uh, from another ancient Near Eastern culture that shows other countries and cultures were doing this as well. So the best, we don't know why. Maybe a sandal represented where one walked and giving the sandal was an expression of a privilege given to someone else. Say, these shoes have walked on my land, but now I give them to you so that you can use the same shoes to walk on your land. We don't know. But somehow it was a token of a transfer of ownership. Perhaps like a, a wedding band might be. A, just a transfer of a token that would always be a reminder that no, this is, this is the land that is mine now. And then came the public declaration, verse 9. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, so there are elders there, and beyond this there were all these people, and he said, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, and again, he references that again. She's the Moabitess. The widow of Malon to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. And there it was. Boaz declared before everyone his intent to redeem Ruth by purchasing the land, by marrying Ruth, by raising up offspring for the deceased. In some ways, this is a little bit like a, a wedding ceremony. Because um, it says even right there, the next verse. Um, well, soon after that, the Boaz took Ruth, verse 13. But like a wedding ceremony. And one of the purposes of a wedding ceremony is for the union of a man and wife to be a public matter. Often at weddings, the the one conducting the ceremony will stand before everyone and say something like this. Friends and family, we're gathered here today in the sight of God and the presence of these witnesses to join this man and this woman together in holy matrimony. We've been gathered to witness and to bless their union. Right? How many times have you heard something like that? Gone to many, many weddings before. That's what is. That's what's taking place. Boaz declared his intentions publicly of this and the witnessing comes. Verse 11. And all the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. We have seen it. Right? We, we understand what you're saying. And then comes the blessing. This is like when they're throwing rice. Okay? Or birdseed like they throw today. This is the blessing. May the Lord make the women who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel, and may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah 
through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. And notice here how many people have come, the elders and, and all the people. And, and the blessing here goes back to, um, to the time of the patriarchs, to Rachel and Leah, who were two wives of Jacob. And from there, from those unions, were basically formed all of Israel. Both Rachel and Leah. But remember that even beyond that though, beyond Rachel and Leah, they are in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is where the the tribe of Judah was, which is where David's line was. And so they mention here explicitly some some of the descendants of Judah. The wives of Judas. Moreover, verse 12, may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah. So here you have Judah because they are in Bethlehem. So it makes sense. Not only just all Israel, may they be like, like the, the women who in all Israel propagate everything, but may also be like, like Judah where we stand today. But I think there's also something else more subtle going on here with the mention of Tamar and Judah. If you go back to Genesis chapter 38, you don't need to do that now. Um, but if you remember, Tamar had a husband who actually was Judah's son, Ur, and then Ur died. And through some events we won't get into right now, Judah ended up taking Tamar, his son's wife, as her own, and then from there bore Perez, for whom all these descendants have come here in Bethlehem. It's very, very close to what's taking place here with Boaz being an older man. Not necessarily the, the, the wife of his son, but it was the wife of his, maybe his cousin or his nephew maybe. Very, very close by. Really, really subtle blessing. And that from Perez then came the entire house of Judah, which really populated then Bethlehem. This was, if you notice also, this was a blessing seeking fertility. I mean, this was a motive of, of Boaz when he said he was going to take Ruth, like in verse 7, um, in order to raise up the name of the deceased. That was one of the purposes of having this whole redemption, to, to raise up an offspring. That's what Boaz was there. But also, remember that Ruth had been married in Moab and come back childless. So, Ruth was probably a barren woman like so many other women in the Scriptures. There's every reason that they needed to seek the Lord's help in order to have a child, in order to have some offspring rise up. And of course, this prayer was answered in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son Notice it was the hand of the Lord upon Ruth's womb. You know, the sovereignty of God covers all over Ruth. I mean, it is there from the beginning until the end, but there are a couple times where it's very explicit. Two, two times particularly. It's in chapter 1, verse 6, where we find out that the Lord had visited His people and giving them food, calling Naomi back home. And the second place right here, the Lord enabled her to conceive. We see... God giving life to the land, restoring life to the land. And we see God giving life to the woman, restoring life to the women. I mean, this is what Ruth is about, the restoration to life. And this pregnancy brings the book to a happy ending. God had provided 
a redeemer for Ruth and Naomi, and now their future was looking bright. In fact, it was so bright, look at verse 14, what the women say. The women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. He has redeemed you and He is blessed. May His name become famous in Israel. This child. And may He also be to you a restorer of life. And there it is. This child is where the hopes are set. And a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And then another blessing comes, right? The neighbor women came and gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And so, I'm not sure why they named him, but they named him Obed, which means servant. And he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And like, like you get a, you get a picture right here that everything's well. It's a, it's, they lived happily ever after, almost is the, the feel of this story. Naomi's life is restored. This child would sustain her. The family name would go on. In fact, this was one of the, the big struggles there. I mean, to be barren is to stop a, a line, a lineage. And for them, they, they needed an heir. They needed to continue the name. This was huge for them. And it all came to pass right there with Naomi. And notice here how it is God's active sovereign work. Verse 14, it, it's the Lord has not left you without a Redeemer today. It's almost God has provided you with a Redeemer today. And this one is going to be the one who's going to restore your life. Oh sure, this story began with great sorrow. I mean, it doesn't get worse than this. Don't call me pleasant anymore, but call me bitter. I mean, it doesn't get worse than that. But it ends with great joy. Just like many other stories that we've come to enjoy, whether it's The Wonderful Life or Wizard of Oz or Annie. It, it, is, a, it is a wonderful ending to this story. But don't stop there. Okay? Our tendency might be to stop there. In, in fact, when uh, I first figured I was going to be preaching through Ruth. Our family and family worship read through Ruth on numerous occasions, just reading through the Bible together. Reading Ruth put it in my mind to generate some discussion and how it was going to be. And then one of my, one of my children, as we were reading through it, I don't know, maybe for the third, fourth time, I forget what it was, but we read through it one night. And we hit right here at verse 15, and this child, who remained nameless, said, um, okay, we can stop there. And I said, what? What are you talking about? And uh, this child said, well, um, the rest of the book's just a genealogy. We don't, we don't need to read that. And you know what Dad said? Oh, you're right. You're right. We don't need to read that. We can stop right there. Is that what I said? I said, no, no, no. We can't do that. We need to keep on reading because, I said, and I will say today, this is the whole point of the book of Ruth. It's this genealogy. I believe this genealogy explains why Ruth is here in our, our Bible See, because if the book of Ruth were merely a story of a distressed woman who ends up getting a great, having a grandchild, living happily ever after, I mean, we could totally miss the significance of, of Ruth's life. I mean, her life in and of itself wasn't so significant. Her life was significant because of who her great-grandson would turn out to be. 
That's where the significance of Ruth's life is. Not, not in the, the blessings of everything that she experienced, though that is good. And I, I do believe this, that if we neglect verses 18 to 22, we might be led to easily believe that this is the plan for all of our lives. That yes, big, things are bad for us now, but, but God has promised to restore me to be healthy, wealthy, and everything going well. I mean, was this not what Naomi experienced? I mean, this isn't the life that I was planning. I wasn't planning to have a life like this. But I'm sure that God will turn things around for me, turn things around for Ruth, right? Isn't that what I'm to expect? And I say yes and no. Certainly, if you're believing and trusting in Christ, God will show you better days. But it may be that those days aren't here on this earth. It may be that those better days are a ways away in heaven. Because there are plenty of saints who have died expecting better days and never realizing them in this life, only realizing them in the life to come. When we get back to Hebrews sometime, um, whatever, Christmas time, whenever, we're going to see Hebrews chapter 11 of these people living by faith and, and they didn't realize the promises. Hebrews 11 verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises. But it says, having seen them and having witnessed them from a distance and having confessed they were strangers and exiles on the earth. The idea is they're, they're looking for the promise of the Messiah to come. Uh, the promise of everything that God was promising and, and they died without seeing it. Abraham died without seeing a great nation. Many people died. Moses died without seeing fully the people into the land. And you can go on and on. David died without seeing the temple built. Lots of times, people don't see everything. God's saints have long experienced for the full blessings and promises of God, but they never saw them fully. Rather, they died in faith anticipating them. And right after a list of those who experienced mockings and scourgings and chains and imprisonment and torture and pain and death, the writer says this, and these all, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. In debt, instead, they were tortured and killed. Better days may not come. But by God's grace, they often do. They often do for us the case with Ruth. And for this, we can be thankful. So, we can't presume, but we can trust. But anyway, the message of verses 18 through 22 is that eventually the blessing does come because the story of Ruth goes from beyond redeeming a family to redeeming a nation. That's what these verses are about. Let's read the genealogy one more time. Now, these are the generations of Perez. So, we're going back and we're going to catch Ruth right in midstream. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram Aminadab, and to Aminadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon Salmon, and to Salmon Boaz, there he is, our hero, and to Boaz Obed, that was by Ruth, and to Obed Jesse, and to Jesse David. Now, there's only one name in this genealogy really that matters. Which name is that? David. It's the very last name. I believe it's the very last word in the book just to make this point that it is David. David's the key. He is the great grandson of Ruth. Ruth is a great grandmother of David. The king of Israel, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the man after God's own heart, the one who would take Israel out of the dark days of the judges and bring them into the glory days of the monarchy. 
And in King David, all the prayers of the witnesses were answered. Back in chapter 4, I want to look at these, these prayers a little bit more closely because it's amazing how, how they are, are answered in this child. They said in verse 11, the people in the court and the elders, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the women, the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel, and may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. There's no presumption of an offspring may come, it might not come, but it came and it came in David and he indeed was a man of great wealth. I mean, you remember a few weeks ago when I preached from 1 Chronicles 29? Remember what David gave to the building of the temple? Almost as much as everybody else combined. David was the major contributor to the building of the temple. And he achieved great fame. I mean, so much so that Bethlehem, known as the city of David, it's where David was. So also the prayers of the women were answered as well in verse 14 and 15. Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. And may His name be famous in Israel. And that's probably talking about this baby, probably talking about Obed, but it, but it comes beyond that. It comes beyond Obed to Jesse and then to David. And David became very, very famous in Israel. In fact, David is famous in the whole world. Will be forever. His name will never be forgotten. Only if our, our, our attention is so riveted upon Christ that we forget. But until the end of time, Abraham, David, Jesus, I mean, those are names that will never be forgotten by anybody. They prayed far better than they knew. In fact, that's what happens in verse 15. May He be the restorer of life, sustain your old age. They were only kind of thinking about physical life. May He be the one that when, when you need sustenance, see the grandson come up and can help work and help provide for you, provide care for you. But there's even through David a, a vaster and, and broader application to this. That yes, He restored her life. He sustained her in his old age. But David then would raise up to sustain Israel sustain a nation far more than even they knew. And, and here's what I believe. I believe that uh, all this blessing of Ruth was not lost on David. I think David fully understood, fully remembered the story of Ruth. You know, you can just picture... I, I watched some movies of um, Ruth kind of in preparing to preach and all. And um, several started with um, a discussion between this little shepherd boy and his grandfather telling of his mother, right? So you got David down here, and it's kind of the motif of the movie. It's kind of, kind of nice. you got David down here talking with his grandfather, talking about his mother, Ruth, and what a noble woman she was. And let me tell you this story. And da, 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 da. And then just inspiring things there to David. I think David knew very well who his great-grandmother was, whether he met her or not. In fact, let me show you a spot. Let's go to Psalm 36. So we're, we're done in Ruth but we're talking here about uh, the nation being redeemed. Psalm 36, 
So Psalm speaks of the wickedness of man and the loving kindness of the Lord. We can't look at the entire psalm, but I want you to look at verses 5, 6, and 7. And then I want to ask you if you recognize those verses at all. After speaking about the wickedness of man, then he focuses, David does, his attention upon the Lord. He says, Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens, and Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like a great deep. O Lord, You preserve man and beast. How precious is Your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of Your wings. Do you recognize that? Little phrase there? Yes? No? Okay, where do you recognize it from? Remember? comes from Ruth. comes from Ruth chapter 1. Remember the first time that Boaz saw Ruth? He said, May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. That was like their first words, their first conversation. That, that you have come, Ruth, and may the Lord help you. You've come to seek refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. And then when Ruth proposed, you remember how she alluded to the same thing. In Ruth chapter 3, verse 9, I am Ruth, your maid, so spread your wings over your maid, for you are a kinsman redeemer. I do believe in the house of Ruth, you know, in the house of, um, uh, of Boaz. You know, they may have had a plaque nicely written out in Hebrew talking about under the shadow of her wings we're seeking protection. You know, and this became a very special piece for them. Um, because it's like it's like their phrase, it's it's their thing. I know that recently, Yvonne, I went to a wedding. I don't know, recently, like nine months ago, who knows when it was. Um, and uh, the husband of the bride, uh, the the father of the bride, sang a song that he wrote especially for the bride and groom. And so Yvonne got those words and did like a special calligraphy talking about two hearts is one, or I forget what it was two hearts is one, and uh, then sent that to them and gave it to them, and it. It's, it's going to hold a special place in their hearts, I think, forever. I think forever it will hang up in their hearts, in their, in their house. This is the time when the two hearts became one. This is the song that Dad sang for us at our, at our wedding, you know, tear, tear down, down the eyes of the cheek. And I think also, here with uh, Boaz and Ruth, it was this phrase, we were seeking refuge under the wings of God. And so David probably heard of that and knew about that and perhaps was thinking as he wrote these words of his great-grandmother, speaking about how God's loving kindness had been extended greatly to them because they had sought refuge under God's wings. So the story of Ruth isn't merely a story about redeeming a family. It's about redeeming a nation. Because David would come and be the the great king of them all. But But it's even bigger than that. It's more than just redeeming a nation. It is redeeming a people. Uh, I was thinking about a church, but I think a people is good. God's people. And I get this from the only time that Ruth appears in the New Testament. Do you know when it is? Anybody? Ruth appears once in the New Testament. Who can pick it out? Not Hebrews. It's a good guess though. Hebrews 11 is a good guess. The genealogy in Matthew. Very first page of the New Testament. Turn there. Matthew chapter 1. I'm not going to burden you with the entire genealogy, 
but just the part that contains Ruth here. Verse 5 and first part is 6. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. And here we see Ruth's name, the great-grandmother Ruth. But I want you to point out that the genealogy doesn't stop with David like it does in the book of Ruth. Because more history was to be written after that. It stops, continues on in verse 16 is where it ends. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. The name Jesus here has great significance. Come down to verse 19. When Joseph, husband of Mary, being a righteous man, not willing to disgrace her plan to send her away secretly, he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child that has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." And that's what Jesus means. Jesus is a Savior and He will save His people. And how did Jesus save His people? He redeemed them. He purchased them. He provided for them. And listen, just as Boaz redeemed Ruth, so Jesus redeems us. And that's, that's the greater purpose of the book of Ruth here. To give you a picture of what it means to, to have a man walk in integrity and have, have interest only in another and then come and, and be willing and able to pay the price and to pay the price and then to provide security and to bring in and restore life to the one who needed it so badly. And the fact that Jesus redeemed us just like Boaz redeemed Ruth was not lost in the New Testament writers over and over and over again. They, they speak of how Jesus Christ redeems us. Here are a few. Hebrews 9.12 Jesus entered a holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. He bought us, captured us eternally. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He purchased us. He bought us out. We were under a curse, but He bought us out, transferred us out of that curse, so now we know His blessing. Romans 3.24 We're justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. God purchased us by His grace, justifies us through the redemption, through the purchasing that Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross. The song throughout all eternity, Worthy are You, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power because You purchased for God, with Your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people. Jesus Christ purchased the church. He purchased the people. He came to save His people from their sins. Titus 2.14 Jesus gave Himself there's the purchase price Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed to buy us back from every lawless deed. 1 Corinthians 6.20 You've been bought with a price therefore glorify God with your body. There's Jesus buying us with a price. Romans 8.23 We ourselves groan within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons described as then the redemption of our body. It is a future redeeming that will take place, which is when we are adopted. So He buys us, takes us into His family. 
to be one of His own. And church family, like Ruth, we've been bought with a price. Like Ruth, we have been restored to life through Jesus our Lord. And I just say, may our hearts really ascend in praise and honor and worship and love to Jesus. Because He is the one who accomplished what Ruth only pictures. I want to share with you two more, two more things really quick. This week, Avon, uh, so often do I say, Vaughn, here's my text. Do you want to just read through it, study through it, just help? Because it helps us really talk about just what's text is coming up. I know it's consuming my mind. Help her, consume her mind too. It's helpful. And, and she just did a, a search and looked at all the passages talked about redemption or purchasing. And, and here's a definition that she came up with about what redemption is. This isn't a dictionary definition. Okay, This is a definition that just takes all the different portions of redeeming and kind of pulls them in just a little bit uh, at a time. So like here where it talks about adoption, kind of pulling that in. Talking about redeeming from, from a curse, kind of pulling that in. About redeeming from lawless deeds, pulling that in. And so kind of pull it all, summarize it into one sentence said this. Redemption is Christ's purchase of us with His blood to forgive our sins and to set us free from the law. And through this purchase, we are His possession and adopted children. Is that good? I think it's good. It's nearly inspired because Yvonne wrote it. (laughs) Redemption is Christ's purchase of us with His blood to forgive our sins and set us free from the law. Through this purchase, we are His possession and adopted children. And I just say, this is... um, this is marvelous news. I mean, this is good news that we've been purchased and we've been bought. Ruth was rejoicing the day when she was married, when she was redeemed, where her financial problems are, are gone away, where she is secure in Boaz and his love. The song we sang today, first time, the greatest of all, listen to the words, the greatest of all transactions, the costliest purchase price. Father, your son's atoning death was given in pain payment for mine, to buy me back from slavery, to set me free from my chains. And then he says, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through your infinite mercy, your child and forever I am. Of course, that last was um, Fanny Crosby, but that first part, the greatest of all transactions is what took place, the death of Christ. There's not a transaction that was more important to us There's not a transaction that was of higher cost because we've been redeemed, as Darren read earlier, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but rather we've been redeemed with precious blood that is infinitely worthy blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And His death is what made that payment for us so that we might be bought from slavery and our chains might be free, might be free from the law, we might be free from our sins, we might be free to worship God and the glorified Jesus Christ who purchased a people for Himself. So the book of Ruth, lots of layers. Redeeming a family governs it, but it's got view towards redeeming a nation and has a bigger scope even to redeeming a people whom those who believe in Christ are, are part of that that we get to share. So let's pray. Father, I thank You for this book of, of Ruth. I am sad to see it go. Um, it has been a, a delight to my soul and, and would pray even as I have a chance to share some of this as well with some pastors in Nepal, I pray it would encourage them. 
Uh, I pray, O oh Lord, that you might uh, dig these things deep into our heart that we would realize of how the greatest transaction of all is the transaction that took place in Jesus Christ to purchase our souls. Oh God, and I just would pray you'd give us the strength to so live in the light of that reality that we are not slaves to sin any longer. Rather, we are slaves to righteousness. That we have been bought, therefore, we need to honor You in our bodies. And we honor You and we serve You not to gain or merit anything, but we honor and serve because we are now part of the family of the King. And it's the way that King's children behave. And so, Lord, we pray You'd strengthen us, cause this message to reverberate in our hearts, give us great joy, God, that it would, it would ever pursue us and, and energize us and give us heart and passion to pursue you with great zeal and great desire because of how great your work for us on the cross has been and continues to be. May the gospel which was preached today just stir our hearts afresh and give you, um, cause us to give you our whole lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.